Welcome to Black Family Table Talk. We are your hosts, Tony and Tony. Listen in weekly as we discover ways to build a strong Black family. What are we going to discuss today, Tony? Tell us about how you went from the streets of Newark to Wall Street. Well, growing up in Newark at a time just before things went bad, I was on that tail end. I got a glimpse of the, the, the great time. It's like, just to give you perspective, I was born in 63, so I'm considered a baby boomer on the tail end of the baby boomer generation. That generation saw some glimpse of, of hope. You know, they, they came through civil rights, through black power m- movement. And we, I, I, got, I got to see that. My, my, my teachers, you know, I had black and white teachers, but the teachers I had were, were teachers that either came through historically black colleges. You know, they, they had that dream of self-determination and, and hard work and, and move forward. And then as I was becoming into an adult, the drug scene really came in and devastated our community. But I had enough to hold on to, to move forward. But I was able to see the devastation of what it was doing to our people. That's on one hand. On the other hand, I had self-doubt because I had a speech impediment and I had to be pulled out of, when I was in elementary grammar school, I had to be pulled out of class to have a session with the speech therapist in, in school. So that was the begin. That's that was in my subconscious that I didn't. That took my voice away. That made me become silent and not want to speak because subconsciously I didn't want to because I knew I couldn't say certain words and I didn't want to sound like a bumbling fool. So all all of that makes me who I am today. So for a very long time, I buckled down to compensate for those things. I, I read a lot. I was introspective, gaining a, knowledge, a lot of knowledge so that on paper, I could appear intelligent. But I never wanted to venture out on large stage and speak and put that knowledge into practice. But, you know, as an adult, you, you become, you just have to do it sometimes. You have to force yourself to do it sometimes. You know, you have to push through. You know, I recently joined Toastmasters. Even though I'm, I'm a professional, been a professional for the last 25 years and had speaking engagements and did training, I still thought I needed something more confident. Thought I needed something else. And so that speech impediment from grade school, you've held on to that. Yeah. From grade school through high school through college yeah. through yeah. thirty years in banking. Yeah. Thirty yeah. years, honey. Thirty years in banking, and you still carry it when you just joined Toastmasters. Was yeah. I'm I'm impressed. I, I applaud you for that. You know, you have to do what you need to do to to, to find the courage to move forward. Mm-hmm. We both we both were teenagers during the crack epidemic, and no, we yeah. saw how not adults at that time. We were, yeah, well, and it was in the 80s, yeah, um, young adults, Mm -hmm. and we saw how crack devastated our community. How do you think you were able to avoid that? Uh, Yeah, I was was blessed. I would say I was blessed. I I, I had an attitude that I wanted something different. 
you know how they say weed is the entry drug, mm-hmm. you know. So I stayed away from them, those things, and I was a quote-unquote athlete. So I didn't want to put anything in my body. To be honest, that's the only thing that kept me, because I was around it, but I chose not to participate. I, I, I just said, that's not for me. So I, did, I didn't succumb to peer pressure and I was focused on what I wanted to do. I wanted, I wanted something different in life. What did you want that was different? Well, a couple of things I dealt with as a child, other than the speech impediment. I also had the issues of not knowing who my biological father was. Hearing about him and, and things that he may have, he have accomplished or did in life gave me the impetus to make something out of myself. And I would have things in my head like, yeah, when, when, I, when I meet him one day, he would know I, I, I could make him proud of who I was or what I become or that I became somebody despite the fact I didn't have you in my life. So a lot of things you talk to yourself about and it could be something that motivates you or it could be something that um, takes you down. That was a motivating factor for me, to make something of myself, to be somebody. And it's just me as a kid growing up and looking how young my mother was when she had me, which was normal at that time. But my mother had so much promise and intellect that I felt the birth of me held her back, you know? She had me when she was 19, so 19 going on 20. And as a child, you, you think about those things. Single mother with a baby just moved to, to the north from the south, trying to make her way through life. She was able to overcome all those things, and I'm able to become the person I am today because of her and her strength and coming through all of that. You know, just, just hearing the stories, how after conceived me, she was living with her aunt who kicked her out, and then finding out that the guy, my biological father, ended up leaving, you know, I I can only imagine how, how much, you know, how she felt, how how fearful she may have been at that time. Because he didn't stick around long enough to see me born. He was gone. So without even asking my mother about it, I kind of took on these, this talk to myself about what I needed to do in life because of circumstances around my birth. It sounds like you felt you were a burden to your mom. Did you feel like you didn't want to be a burden? Yeah, I did. And I did a lot of stuff on my own. I had the natural inclination to do was to take it upon myself to figure it out and not be a burden. Start working early, start making my own money. Rarely, rarely ask for anything. At what age did this start? Yeah, man, this was real early. I don't know, early teens. I, I figured, you know, if I needed something, I need to go make some money. I get the courage to go do it. Used to walk down to Valley Fair. Didn't work for Valley Fair. I ended up working for Valley Fair when I was in junior high school. But I used to just walk down there, help women carry their bags to the car, help bag their groceries at the supermarket, make a cup of pennies or back then things were cheap a dollar was a lot of money you know 50 cent quarter that was a lot of money I did those things there's snow grab a shuttle shovel 
go out there, knock on doors. Want me? Can I shovel your driveway? Can I rake your leaves? Where I lived in, in Newark was on the border of Hillside, so I walk in Hillside where there were more single-family homes. Knocked on people's doors and say, "Hey, rake your leaves." That's what I did. I, I don't know. It just helped me grow up to be more independent. You know, that whole experience taught me that. If you wanted something, you have to go out and get it. You know, it's the, the, well, what taught you that? I, I can't say it's one thing. You know, just the circumstances of, um, the whole circumstances of life. And, and, you know, and being the oldest also, you know, just that chronological order of family. The oldest child had been way responsible for my younger sisters. And um, they looked up to me. You know, that added responsibility helps you grow up a lot faster. I mean, that was just the way it was in Newark sometimes. Tell a story about how you decided you didn't want to go to Weekway, which was the school everybody in the community went to. You decided you wanted to go to Science High. Well, I had an eighth grade teacher. He presented to me an opportunity to go to Science High School. Back then, you didn't have to take a test. All you had to do was write a letter. And I was accepted, and I was glad I was because I just wanted something different. Went to Science High School and met people from all from different neighborhoods because it was a school that took everybody if you were able if you were selected I wanted that curriculum because it was a rigorous curriculum that you had to take a lot of science and a lot of math and I was I was a good math student at the time and it was a great experience it was time for me to go to college not wanting to be a burden and I decided to go to college but I didn't know how I was going to pay for it so I filled out the FAFSA. I don't know what it was called back then. I didn't even ask my mother to fill, fill it out. You know, she gave me a tax returns. I filled out the information. I still didn't know how much college was going to cost. So I ended up signing up for the Air Force because the recruiter told me I get $1,000 a year. I'm like, oh, that's a lot of money. I can go to college with that if I took a certain trade. You know, I was, I was, accepted, I was accepted to two schools, Norfolk State and Winston-Salem. So only two schools I applied to. And I was going to Winston-Salem. I mean, I'm sorry, I was going to Norfolk State with two other buddies of mine, Eric Williams and Ernest Peters. We were all going to Norfolk together. Tom and Eric were going to be stationed in Norfolk. It was like the five of us was all going to be in Norfolk because one way or another we were going to see each other. But in the middle of um, basic training, two things happened. One, the father figure in my life at that time had passed away. And the other thing happened, I didn't realize after basic training, I had to go to tech school. Because all I knew was I was in the reserves. I go to basic training, I come home, I had to do a couple of weekends and two weeks in the summer, not knowing there was a, a training in between that, so I never got to go to Norfolk State. I didn't want to leave my mother and sister, so I enrolled at a local college, Montclair State. I went to high school one day and talked to the guys, the recreation, gym teachers, people that were kind of my mentors in life. And one thing led to another. They knew someone at Montclair State. And that's how I ended up there. At that time, you know, they had a program called Education Opportunity Fund for families that, you know, made certain money or less. And there were a lot of African-American students in that program based on household income. 
that year. The what initial was the experience. highlight of college? Oh man! Other than graduating, highlight. I mean, just I, I played Kappa. <laughs> um, tried out for the basketball team. And that's when I met my best friend, Dow Marshall. We, we pledged together. Two years later, I graduated spring 86. Pleasant fraternity opened up other things in my life as well. You learn a lot of things about how to run an organization by being a part of a fraternity. The bond that we, we had in the fraternity, I was able to travel. And we traveled to a lot of historical black colleges while we were students at Montclair State. We traveled to Cheney State, the Delaware State, we traveled to Morgan. That must have been fun. We traveled to Lincoln. Yeah, we, we just had great times, great times. And then we found out about the, the college, um, Black College Week, Beach Week for historical black colleges. So we went to Virginia Beach, um, hung out with brothers from Virginia State, Virginia Union, Norfolk State. Just just great times, man. That's, you know, being a part of fraternity and just instantly having brothers wherever you went. You know, we also traveled to Penn State, we traveled to Syracuse. So I know soon after that we met after graduating from college. Mm -hmm. And I remember you telling me you said I'm you were working on Wall Street at the time. You were working for Urban Trust. We eventually came Baker, New York. And you told me you decided to get married. You said, I'm not gonna be working at Urban Trust. I just wanna let you know I'm going to get my MBA. What was the mindset behind you being so motivated and decided you wanted to go and get your MBA? I mean, that that was the atmosphere. Young, what do you call them, buppies back then. Yeah, black urban, urban professionals. professionals. <laughs> buppies. Buppies, so. Throwback term. Yeah, yeah, I mean, and the, the people, the circle that the fraternity brought me to because the fraternity's motto was achievement. That was embedded in you, so you wanted to achieve. Those were the circles I was hanging out in, you know, working in New York, hanging out, meeting people that were progressing in their careers. That was just a lifestyle in the, in the mid-80s. If you wanted those buppies, you were trying to make things happen. Well, let me ask you in closing, if you had two things you wanted to share, takeaways, like life lessons that brought you from the streets of Newark to MBA, Wall Street, now Vice President of the Bank. Hmm. I mean, the environment you, you come through and then the encouragement you get from your friends and family, because everybody looked up to me at this point, you know, especially people I grew up in the neighborhood. I was like, man, Tony, you were all about your business. I was taken out of it. By the grace of God, I, I kind of missed some of that devastation, you know, hard times. I had family members that really was devastated by that stuff. If you can't travel, read as much as you can because that takes you mentally away. Self-help books, autobiographies, success stories. I did a lot of that reading and that stuff, you know, along with the, the, the little travel I was doing, helped me see a different world. Through those things, I met people and family people that, that were in another world. Things I didn't know about, like going to Martha's Vineyard or being a part of Jack and Jill, you know, all these elite black things, and you know, 
my fraternity gave me a glimpse of what that was. I didn't have that as a child. I met black people that that had that, you know, to have vacation homes and had parents who were executives at IBM and things like that. So through that experience, I I was exposed to that. And that kind of shaped me who I am today. How do you expand your own capacity? What do you have to overcome personally? Self-doubt. Self-doubt and overcoming what the world may say about you. You know, as a black man, you hear things, you know, you either violent, criminal, thug, not as smart. You know, there's a lot of a lot of things put on you. So when things are put on you, you have to find the courage within yourself. And it's a mental shift in your head. You know, like what people used to say, I don't have a problem with the N-word because I don't respond to it. And things people say about you can paralyze you and keep you from moving forward. So you have to have the attitude to say, you know, they may be talking about somebody, but they're not talking about me. I'm a child of God. You don't buy into every fear that's presented to you. You have to put forth your goals and be focused and keep that before you. Because as you're working, now I always say this about people like Oprah. She don't take, she don't let criticism, she don't respond to criticism. She don't allow criticism to stop her on what she has to has to do or anybody's opinion, anything. She's so laser focused on what she's trying to do that she don't let it bother her. So you have to become that type of person. Knowing what your purpose is in life and knowing you're going to have trials and be tested, just like the biblical stories in the Bible. You receive the word, all the parables in the Bible talks about it. You receive the word. What do you do with that word? You forget it. You let thorns and, and, and weed grow in it and it's choked out. Or you hold on to it and you find your purpose and you move forward. Those are choices you have. You know, issues of life come at you. How do you respond to it? You always praise God no matter what. All those, all that weight that you feel, when you praise God, that stuff melts away and allows you to move forward. Now, if you take it on, you try to deal with it yourself, it's going to paralyze you. It's going to cripple you. It's going to put you in a victimization state. It's going to, it's going to take you down. But the minute you start praising God for your circumstances and your crisis you're in, the problems you're facing, your obstacles you're facing, that gives you... I don't know what it is, but it gives you that ability to come out of it. And once you come out of it, then you can move forward. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Black Family Table Talk. We pray that you heard some principles put into your strong black family toolbox. Be sure to tune in next week. And remember, sharing is caring. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to subscribe and visit our website at blackfamilytabletalk.com. Look for special discounts and ways to be part of the Black Family Table Talk community. As a part of our mission to do our part to strengthen Black families, we endorse small Black-owned businesses. This is our way of strengthening Black families economically. This week's Small Black Business Spotlight is on... Shea Shea LaFemme Shea Butter. It's the best shea butter I've ever tried. And it comes in a variety of fragrances. 
just visit our website at blackfamilytabletalk.com and you'll see a special link for a 20% discount. Under Section 107 of the Copyright Act 1976, allowances made for fair use for purposes such as criticism, comments, news reporting, teaching, scholarship, and research. Fair use is a use permitted by copyright statute that may otherwise be infringing. The news and opinions expressed on Black Family Table Talk do not necessarily reflect various platform hosts. All topics are for entertainment purposes only. Discretion is strongly advised and all commentary is alleged. This is a Micah 68 Media LLC production.